Well, it is good to be back here in God's house at Porchlight Baptist Church. We missed being here last Sunday. We were at Highland. Had a great service there. Just appreciate all the prayers for that. And I do have a few prayer requests this morning. Continue praying for our brother-in-law's sister, Martha Roberts, who has cancer. Also, uh, continue praying for my mom. She did come home from the hospital last week, and she's still dealing with a lot of health issues. So pray for her. Uh, remember my pastor friend, Jonathan Tharp. He's dealing with some health issues as well. Pray for him. Uh, also remember our daughter, Elizabeth, and son, Matthew. Both have colds. And then our daughter, Jessica, our oldest daughter, she's getting married on Tuesday this week. So pray for her. Pray for pray for us. Uh, but uh, also pray for um, our service. And remember our missionaries, the Blands family down in Costa Rica, and the, uh, the Sauters in Zambia, Africa, the Marshall family over in Australia. Remember them in your prayers. And also remember next Sunday, the service at Northside Baptist Church. I'll be there preaching, Lord willing, at the 1045 service and the 6 o'clock evening service. So you're invited to come out, Northside. It's uh, it's downtown Knoxville, just across from the big cemetery uh, there off of Central. Um, Bernard Avenue is where it's at. So you come out and be with us there next Sunday. And uh, this morning we're continuing on in our sermon series out of the Gospel of John. It's been a few weeks since we've been in here. And uh, we're still in chapter 3, John chapter 3, be reading from this morning, verses 11 through 15, and Lord willing, we'll expound upon these verses. I saw a little uh, post on Facebook from one of my preacher friends this morning about uh, expository preaching and how that was uh, the best preaching, and I agree with that. I know topical preaching has its place, and you can still preach expository preaching topical sermons. Uh, but this uh, fluff and puff and uh, blow your house down, snots and, and sweat and peel the paint off the walls, what most people are looking for today for some reason, they're wanting a big show, uh, instead of actually learning the Bible. And so that's why the majority of Christians today, especially Baptists, you can ask them how to lead someone to the Lord by using the Bible and they don't have a clue. Why? Because they went to sit to hear somebody huff and puff and blow their house down instead of teaching the Bible. And so we believe in teaching the Bible here at uh, Porchlight Baptist Church, always have and always will. When we stray from doing that, then we have no business as being a church. And so we are in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. Let's look at verses 11 through 15. Here the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that, that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. I have told you earthly things, and you believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Father, thank you for the reading of your scripture this morning. I'm praying now that you help us as we try to preach Lord, that you'll be glorified. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, we started chapter 3, and, and it, of course, introduces us to the man Nicodemus. Uh, he's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. And he comes to Jesus by the night, in the nighttime, to ask him questions. He's curious. Um, and we find that uh, he in John 3 and 3, 
Jesus tells him that uh, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We know that on Nicodemus's heart was how he could possibly know uh, that he could see the kingdom of God. You see, Nicodemus was a very intelligent man. He knew scripture. He knew uh, the things of, of God in, a, in an educational sense, an academic sense. But yet when it came to spiritual matters, Nicodemus was spiritually blind. Uh, but he's, he's being drawn by Jesus through the things he's seen Jesus do and heard Jesus say. And uh, he is a lost man. He, he has a fleshly mind, an earthly mind, uh, and not spiritual. And so he doesn't quite understand what Jesus means by being born again. That, that is uh, ludicrous to him. And so, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote over in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the things of God are spiritually discerned. Men without God's Spirit, and that means men that's been saved, are the only ones that have spiritual discernment. Uh, men like Nicodemus, who only has academic knowledge and physical knowledge, doesn't have spiritual knowledge and cannot therefore discern the things of God. So when Jesus says you must be born again, he immediately thinks of physical things, not spiritual. And so Jesus keeps on talking to him. And in fact, even rebuked him there in John 3 and 10, the, the second part of the verse, he said, Art thou master of Israel, knowest not these things? In other words, Nicodemus, you've been studying scripture all your life. You, you know everything about the Old Testament. You know what the prophets wrote and what the books of Moses say and the and the, and the Psalms and all that, you understand all that. And you mean to tell me you don't grasp what I'm trying to tell you about being born again? And so it's a, it's a kind of a mild rebuke to him. And so that's where we pick up this morning in verse 11. Verse 11 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. Now I've titled the message this morning, You Receive Not Our Witness. You Receive Not not our witness. Now, this is not going to get many uh, hits on, on sermon audio or, or any place because of the title of the message. And I've learned a long time ago that if you want to embellish the title of a message and make it seem so far outlandish or even mention something like a UFO or something like that, people will just come out from under rocks to listen to that or at least click on it because they're curious. But when you actually put the title of the message as something from the Word of God, it's like, mm, that sounds boring. And so this message probably won't get but a handful of people listening to it, and that's okay. As long as it's pleasing to the Lord, that's all that matters to me. I'm not here to please men or men's flesh. I'm here to please the Lord. And so we find here that Nicodemus is a, a smart man and much uh, learning and education. No doubt he sat under great Jewish teachers, the same as Paul did, uh, the, the wonderful Gamaliel, the, the, the greatest teacher in all of the Jews at the time. But despite his education, despite his knowledge, he did not have the understanding of the most simplest things about salvation. And here in verse 11, Jesus tells him that he has told him the truth. He speaks the truth and he testifies of it. Yet Nicodemus uh, does not receive his witness. Even though Jesus has told him the truth, he said, I said, we speak that we do know. In other words, I am the one that has the authority here to speak on this subject. Other people don't. Other men don't have this authority, and we'll see why in just a minute. And Jesus says, 
I intensify that we have seen. So with my own eyes, I have seen this truth, and I'm relaying it to you, yet you are blind to it. You're not seeing You're not receiving it. And so, uh, you know, in there in, uh, in John chapter 3, verse 2, when we studied a few weeks ago, it said this about Nicodemus. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So it, apparently Nicodemus understands Jesus is sent from God. He says that. And, and by the way, he says we. He said we know that thou art. And he's referring to himself and those in his peer group. The, the other Pharisees, the other ones that he hangs out with. He says, we understand that you are sent from God. You're a teacher. Come from God. And no man could do these miracles except that God be with him. So uh, it's it's apparent that Nicodemus has an understanding. Jesus is, is totally different than your average man on the street. He came from God, this man has. And so it's, it's interesting that he believes that he's God, yet he can't believe in him as a Savior, as a Messiah. Uh, and that's what Jesus is calling out him out on. The very people that he came here to earth to save and to introduce himself to, to save him from their sins, to be their Savior, their Messiah, they would not receive him. And remember what we studied in the very first message in John chapter 1. If you want to turn there, John 1, verse 1 through 11, we read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Here it is, verse 10, look at this. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So, here Nicodemus is not receiving. He said, ye received not my witness. The Bible says there, in, in the beginning of John, that his, uh, he came into his own. His own is men like Nicodemus. He's a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. He came unto his own, his own received him not. Uh, and so Jesus' own, own nation didn't receive him. His own hometown refused to receive him. His very own synagogue, where he grew up as a little boy and learning the scriptures, his own synagogue would not receive him. Even his own family would not receive him as who he was. And so, look, uh, that Nicodemus don't receive him, it's no surprise because he's spiritually blind. Now look at verse 12 of our text back in John chapter 3. Jesus goes on to say, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Okay, so the earthly things that Jesus is speaking of, he's comparing the spiritual things or heavenly things of the new birth to the birth of a physical person here on earth. And so he's trying to open up Nicodemus's mind to understand spiritual things, spiritual matters. He's comparing here. And he's saying a new birth, a birth of salvation, is similar to the new birth of a baby that comes into the world brand new, uh, made over. And so Jesus goes on to address Nicodemus's unbelief by pointing out the fact 
that he used an earthly illustration on him and he didn't understand that, what makes him think he's going to understand the heavenly illustration? What makes him believe that, uh, heavenly things? If he can't understand basic earthly matters, then there's no way he's going to understand spiritual matters. Now take notice of that word believe here in this verse. It's mentioned twice in this one verse and five more times in the next seven verses. It's the key to this whole passage of scripture uh, of Jesus' dialogue with Nicodemus. It's the whole key here is belief, believe, believeth. Uh, we see it used uh, several different forms. But it's the key passage of the scripture of, being, of belief. And it means to be born again. To believe, when you believe in Christ, that means that you get saved, you get born again. And not like Nicodemus thinks, and crawling back into his mother's womb and being pushed out again. Uh, it's simply believing in Jesus as your Savior. Believing in what he's done and who he is. And that he can save you. And so you could substitute the word believe here with the word faith, actually. Um, it takes faith to believe in something that you cannot see with your own eye. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is something you have not seen. I can't see the air that I'm breathing, but I know it's there. I have faith that it is. There's many things that we cannot see, but yet we have the faith that they're real. The same with our Christian faith. We believe in Jesus. We didn't see him uh, get nailed to a cross and, and shed every drop of his blood and be buried and rise again. We didn't see that with our eyes. But yet we believe through faith that it, it happened. And it also says in Romans ten seventeen, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Remember Jesus, God the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all in one. And so this word that Jesus is speaking, by the way, it said in, in the very beginning of John chapter 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is the Word. He is God. And as in the form of Jesus, an earthly man, he's manifest in the flesh, but he's still God. But we refer to him as the Son, Jesus. Uh, Nicodemus cannot believe, yet he's placed his, uh, has not placed his faith in Jesus at this point. He doesn't believe in him as a Savior at this time. Because he's not received his word. Jesus said that. You receive not our witness. Jesus' witness is his word. And so he's not receiving the word of Jesus. Now look at verse 13, John 3 and 13. Jesus goes on to say, And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. All right. Now this may perhaps be one of the toughest verses in all the Bible to reconcile with. A lot of people have a problem with it. I had a problem with it. Out of this entire message that I spent most of the day on yesterday, uh, this one verse had me uh, studying and meditating and praying and, and seeking and searching to try to grasp the entire meaning of it, to reconcile it with what we've read other places in the Bible. Now, let me, let me explain. In the first verse of this, verse 13, verse uh, sentence, and no man has ascended up to heaven. All right, stop right there at that comma. So if we take that phrase, and no man has ascended up to heaven, you could even throw in but. All right, so in the first verse there, Jesus says that no man has ascended up to heaven. Well, we know from reading in Genesis 5 and 24 that Enoch, the Bible says Enoch, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
And we read in the in the New Testament about Enoch in Hebrews eleven five. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. All right, so we have two statements there claiming and saying that uh, Enoch was taken by God. He was snatched up. He was, uh, and he didn't die. He didn't die. Uh, so we're told he took him and he translated him. Now that word translated means to be transported, to be transferred or moved from one place to the other. We're not told that God took Enoch to heaven, but I believe that's what's implied. I mean, where else would God take him? Would God would he please God so much that God says, okay, Enoch, I'm going to take you from earth and I'm going to put you on Mars and, and stash you there. I don't, I don't think so. And so I believe it's implied that, that God took Enoch with him to heaven, to God's abode. That's what I, I understand it to mean. And we have someone else over in 2 Kings 2 and 11. The Bible says, and it came to pass as they still went on and talked uh, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. All right. Now I've heard some people try to explain this away and at one time I kind of was leaning that way but I don't, I don't anymore. But they tried to explain this away by saying, well, when he said he went into heaven, he really just meant into the air uh, because above us is considered the heavens. Uh, but I don't think that's what this means. I believe that Elijah certainly went into heaven, into God's abode, and he did it in a flaming chariot of fire. And I believe that fire, that chariot, represented the cleansing of Elijah to, to go into heaven, to make him cleansed. We don't see that Elijah died. The Bible doesn't say that he died and God took him. Uh, we know that Elijah and Elisha were both together at that time. Elisha stayed on the ground. Elijah gets taken up in a, a flaming chariot. Some people want to say, well, that's, you know, that's just a symbol. That's symbolic of, of something. It didn't really happen. You know, uh, yes, it happened. If the Bible says it's, it happened, then it, then it happened. And so how do we reconcile this? We have these two men. Neither saw death, yet both, it seems to have been taken up to heaven. Then Jesus says, and no man ascended up to heaven. What, how can we reconcile it? Well, I believe what we have to do, we have to take this whole passage of Scripture into context. Nicodemus was not receiving the word of, of the Lord. That's what, what he said. You've not received our word. Uh, even though the Lord was telling him of heavenly things, of spiritual things, heavenly things that only someone who had actually been in heaven would be able to relate to him and teach to him. So if we continue reading the second part of John 3 and 13, we read this. But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So neither Enoch nor Elijah had came down from heaven to teach or preach spiritual or heavenly things. Neither one of them did. We see that both of them have been translated or, or taken up into heaven, but neither the Bible mentions has came back down uh, to teach of what they've seen in heaven. Now, at this point in time, uh, the Apostle Paul had not uh, been taken up into that third heaven that he mentions where he saw a man. You know, he talks about a man. He's referring to himself, you know, that uh, was taken up into the third heaven and he was not allowed to speak of the things he saw there. That happened after this passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. But regardless of that, and we don't know that Paul actually physically went to heaven. 
anyway, I believe it was probably a vision uh, similar to what the the Apostle John had in the book of Revelation where he uh, looks up in, into heaven. I don't believe that, uh, or we know that that's a vision. We don't believe that he physically went up there uh, to these things. And so at this point in time that Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, there are two men have been taken into heaven and only uh, and only three are, can say they've been in heaven and Jesus being the third one who's always been because he's eternal and uh, he, he's always been and he's, he's of heaven. He's the only one that has descended that came down from heaven. That's what that means. He descended. He came down from heaven and even says, even the son of man, which is in heaven. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man more than any other title that he uses for himself. The Son of Man. Now, the reason he does that is it is his way of connecting himself to mankind. When Jesus came, when God came down and, and uh, uh, robed himself in flesh, he became a man. And uh, so he's, he's, he is the Son of Man. All right, so we read this in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This is Jesus' connection with man. Philippians 2, 5. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, in my seminary days, uh, Pastor Sexton often said, uh, this is what he would say, the very God of heaven robed himself in flesh and became a man, he did not cease to be God when he became a man. He did not give up his deity to become a man. He took on humanity without giving up deity, but he did lay aside his glory. So we know he had to do that. He laid aside his glory so that men could even be near him. We know that when he revealed his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, what happened? <laughs> it was amazing. It's the same when God revealed his glory to Moses as he was up on the mountain. And he came down, he was glowing. So God had to lay aside his glory as he became a man, but he did not lay aside his deity. He's still God. Uh, so I believe what Jesus is telling us here in John chapter 3 is that no man except himself has ever ascended into heaven and then descended to earth to speak of heavenly things. And I think it makes more sense if we read uh, again, our opening text, verses 11 through 15. If you think of it in that context, listen to what it says. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. I have told you earthly things, and you believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And so this Jesus is relaying that makes him the only one, the only man that's able to speak with authority of the things of heaven because he is the eternal existing one. And he is the only one that has the knowledge and the authority to speak on heavenly things. Now Nicodemus, he 
knew the Old Testament. Uh, he may have even memorized a lot of scripture. But his knowledge was only earthly knowledge. Physical, but not spiritual. And so an atheist can do the same thing. You can get an atheist today that, that has poured through the Bible. They can memorize scripture. They can quote it. They can... They probably know the scripture better than most Baptists do today because most Baptists are illiterate when it comes to the Bible because all they want is to hear fluff and puff and so they don't, they don't study the Bibles. But an atheist can do the same thing, but yet he's not spiritually discerned. He's undiscerned. He can't understand the spiritual things and therefore that's why he's not saved. If he, could, if he understood who Jesus was and, and the Lord opened up his heart and revealed to him the deep things of God, and he believed, then he would have spiritual knowledge. Then he could understand. So instead of getting hung up on whether anyone else had ever ascended into heaven, and it's obvious that they did. The Bible talks about it there. Uh, I know some preachers say, now see, this, this shows us that God never took anybody to heaven because Jesus said so. Well, God also said that he took Elijah up a whirlwind into heaven. So... Uh, let God be true and never man a liar. And so I believe that's how we reconcile this with rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to focus on what Jesus was actually teaching to Nicodemus at this time. He wasn't teaching on people going uh, ascending into heaven. That was not his, his teaching point. His teaching point was that he was the only one with authority to speak on the things because he's the only one that's been in heaven that's descended down to earth to speak of heavenly things. And so... The truth is, a man must be born again. That's Jesus driving this home. So look at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I think it would do good for us to read about what Jesus is referring to about the serpent in the wilderness, uh, just in case we've forgotten about that. And if it, it's in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 21, uh, look at verses 4 through 9, Numbers 21, 4 through 9. <clears throat> the Bible says, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Alright. A very interesting story. And notice that God did not prevent these people from getting bitten. They got bit. But if they had the faith to look up at that fiery serpent on that pole and believe that he is going to cause them not to die, then they will live. That was simple as it could be. That's the simple plan of salvation right there. Jesus, this, this fiery serpent is actually uh, symbolic of 
Jesus Christ. Now, I know it's it's weird to think Jesus being compared to a serpent, but uh, it's not a real serpent. It, it's just one that the Lord told him to make there, and he made it out of brass. But it is a picture of Jesus and his salvation and faith. That's what that is. The fiery serpent is a symbol of punishment by death for the people's disobedience. That's what that's a symbol of. Uh, but God made a way that they could live. All they simply had to do was believe by looking up at that serpent on that pole and believing. And, even, and when they got bit, if they got bit, they would not die. God would save them. So when Jesus mentions this, when talking to Nicodemus, he's symbolizing the penalty of death for sins. Instead of God placing a fiery serpent up on a pole, he placed the Son of Man the precious, his precious son, Jesus, upon a cross, which was lifted up above the ground so that all men could look on him to be saved. And so he tells Nicodemus, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just like the fiery serpent was lifted up, people by faith could look at it and live. The Son of Man also must be lifted up, and people need to look on him. And whosoever believeth, he says in verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so, all sinners are bound for hell. They've sinned. That's the penalty for, for uh, sin, is death in hell. But if they'll look upon Jesus, and by faith trust in him for salvation, he will save them. Save them from their sins. Save them from the penalty of death. Save them from the penalty of hell. And so, Jesus made this very clear. In John 12 and 32, he said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And just so we won't be confused, the Bible says in the very next verse, it gives a commentary on what Jesus said. It says, This he said, signifying what death he should die. And so we know it was Jesus' plan all along to be lifted up in front of, in front of men and whoever would believe upon him would not perish, but they'd have eternal life. And so by faith are you saved. Grace through faith. That was the grace of God that he allowed Jesus to take our place. He was our substitute as he hung on the cross and died. And so no doubt many of the children of Israel back in the days of Moses didn't believe. Many of them probably you know, said there is absolutely no way that that's going to save anybody. I'm not going to look at that pole. Isn't that what people do today? There's absolutely no way that I can go and trust in this man, Jesus, and, and, and get saved. You know, I've done so many bad things, but there's no way that simply that's too easy. And so people think it's too easy. The, the children of Israel, there was probably some there that thought, well, that's way too easy. That's not going to work. I'm not going to be a fool and do that. Yet, uh, like a fool, they, they refused and, and perished. And so that's what's going to happen today to lost sinners. They're going to refuse to receive the word. Isn't that what we title the message? It says, ye receive not our witness. The witness is the word. And so there'll be men today that will not receive God's witness. They will not receive his word. They will not believe. They will not uh, trust that that is the only way to salvation. And they will die in their sins and they will go to hell and live and burn for eternity. And so man is doing the same thing as they've always done. They don't want to place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Instead, they want to look to someone else or something else, some uh, mode or method or means or work or something that they can do uh, to gain salvation or gain their way to heaven. And so it doesn't work that way. It's simply 
by grace through faith. And so it's only by having placing your faith in Jesus Christ to save you that you can be saved. Nicodemus, he came to Jesus in the night to try to get answers. Answers that he apparently understood that only Jesus could supply. Otherwise, he would have went to someone else. He would have went to one of his Pharisee friends or one of the teachers there of the Jews. But he did not. He went to Jesus because he understood this man has the answers. And so that's why he went to him. He recognized the fact that Jesus somehow had came from God, that God had sent him here and, and to, to teach. And so... Uh, and the things that he witnessed, the miracles that Jesus is doing, he understood there's no way this could happen except that God had sent him to do this. And so he could not see past his years of book learning, of his memorizing of Scripture, or his memorization of the laws of Moses, which I'm sure he knew all of them, or all the rules that he kept himself to be a Pharisee. The Pharisees had to keep all those rules, at least in public. And so all of that stuff made sense to him because it was a physical thing he could touch, taste, smell, feel. All that makes sense. But this thing that he simply, all he has to do is have faith and believe in, he can't get it. And so that's why Jesus rebuked him there uh, in chapter, uh, or verse 10. He said, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? So Nicodemus being, being very academic, he knew nothing of the truth of God or his spirit. And so, how is he going to reconcile himself with God and to know how he can redeem his soul except that he be born again? There's no other way. So, that's what we find Nicodemus asking in his heart to Jesus. No, the Bible didn't say he came out and asked him that. It's just Jesus started talking to him and saying <laughs> for a man to be born again. And so, how does he do it? How does a man go to heaven? How does he see the kingdom of God? Jesus gives him this great truth. Christ must be lifted up. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And that's where men like Nicodemus and the unbelieving atheists, the self-absorbed, they have a problem. They refuse to see Jesus Christ as high, holy, and lifted up. They refuse to see him as who he is. They don't have the faith that's necessary to lift Jesus up for their salvation. It's like a mindless robot. All they can do is compute zeros and ones. Cannot compute, cannot compute, cannot compute. And so Jesus tells him, look, Nicodemus, there is absolutely nothing you can do to see the kingdom of God. No offerings, no works, no ceremonies, no religious exercises, no self-righteousness that gets you in the kingdom of God. It takes a much higher faith. It takes belief. It takes more than your works and your deeds and your goodness. It takes faith in the Son of Man. Jesus said, Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're going to stop right there this morning, uh, two weeks from now. Lord Willem will be in that uh, next verse, John 3.16, perhaps the most uh, memorized and familiar verse of all the Bible for all of the world, even those that are lost most know that verse or at least have heard of it at least they used to, I don't know about today but the truth is the same thing that Jesus told Nicodemus still applies to man today man must look to Jesus for salvation you must look to him believe in him believe in his finished work on the cross that he came here and he died for our sins 
He he bled. He was he died. He was buried, and he rose again in three days. That's the gospel. That's how men can be saved: simply believing, placing their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you can do that with me today, if there's one that's listening right now, maybe they're online on Sermon Audio, YouTube, Rumble, Facebook, wherever you're at. If you're lost today and God's been dealing with your heart that you need to be saved, just pray this prayer and and look to Him uh, for salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today pleading, Lord, on behalf of those today that are lost. Lord, there may be one right now that's listening. God, that's lost and on their way to hell. God, there's something. The Holy Spirit's been tugging at their heart. And Lord, they know they need to be saved before it's too late. Lord, I know the only place for sinners, for those that are lost, is hell. And Lord, we're praying today for that one that's lost. God, that they will place their faith in you, your finished work on the cross. The salvation that you gave to us freely. God, you gave it all through Jesus Christ. God, that they'll just believe that, Lord, and by faith, trust in you as their Savior. God, would you help them today? Would you save them, Lord? Lord, help them today. God, help us. Lord, help us here at this church. Lord, help all the churches today that are preaching the truth. And God, will give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for it all. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen.